Lord, we look back over this past year plus and across that landscape that is uh, littered with disappointment and, and struggle and exasperation and loss, a, a landscape that sometimes looks more like a battlefield. And Lord, where have you not met us? Where have you not been there? Where have you not been enough? Where have you not seen and provided for everything that we need? Where have you not given us yourself, Lord? Your eyes have been on us the whole time. And we thank you for the grace of those moments when, when you turned our eyes back to you and our souls could say, it is well with me. Lord, use uh, the rest of our worship this morning, our conversation in your word, by your spirit, to continue to live in the difference that your presence makes in all things. We pray this together with expectancy in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Well, today is our Senior Recognition Day, and in just a moment I'm going to share a message that really has our seniors in mind, but before we do that, uh, we've got a great program designed for our kiddos, and Miss Lily and Miss Renee are all set for you kids. If you want to head on back, uh, you can jump into that program now. Have a great time, kids. We'll miss you. So the message that I prepared for today really is a message that's targeted to our seniors, but I promise, Katie, I just won't stand here in front of you and talk to you the whole time. That would be slightly awkward, but um, this is uh, a message that's for our graduating seniors today, but the rest of you can listen in. I think um, you may find it has a bit of relevance for you today. A 75-year-old woman came up to me after worship. Uh, this morning it said, when am I going to get this? When am I going to learn this? And I said, this is really a message for all of us, isn't it? Do you ever get a sense that there's something more? Something maybe missing? Do you ever hear deep down inside of you a cry welling up for more. During my senior year in high school, I was wandering through the, the shelves in the school library, and I came across a book that uh, intrigued me. The title of it was Henderson the Rain King by Saul Bellow. And for obvious reasons, I thought I would take it off the shelf and read it. Uh, little did I know, that uh, the way that God would use that book to begin to shake something awake on the inside of me. That up till that point in my life, all through my years, till my senior year in high school, I'd never noticed before. This book is about a man who begins to ask questions about his life's meaning. But I think really more accurately, it would be true to say this is a book about a man who begins to notice that deep down uh, inside of himself, he has been asking deep questions about life's meaning all along, and he knows that there is something more that he's missing. 
Here's the main character narrating what's going on early in the book. There was a disturbance in my heart. A voice that spoke there and said, I want. I want. I want. It happened often, and when I tried to suppress it, it got even stronger, and it only said one thing. I want. I want. And I would ask, what do you want? But this was all it would ever tell me. It never said a thing except, I want. I want. I want. At times, I would try to treat it like an ailing child whom you offer rhymes or candy. I would walk it. I would trot it. I would sing to it or read to it. No use. I would change into overalls and go up on a ladder and spackle cracks in the ceiling. I would chop wood. I'd go out and drive a tractor. I'd work in the barn among the pigs. No, no. Through fights and drunkenness and labor, it went right on in the country, in the city. No purchase, no matter how expensive, would lessen it. And then I would say, come on, tell me, what's the complaint? But the demand came louder. I want. I want. I want, I want, I want. At the point when I read this book, I was an atheist. And it really jarred me because it made me slow down and begin to listen to what was going on in the inside of me, I think for the first time in my life. Up to that point, I was an outside of being oriented person. And this is the first time I started noticing what was going on inside of me. Up to this point, my life was just a game that I played. But when I stopped and listened, I was unsettled to realize that that same I want, I want was echoing from somewhere way deep down inside of me. I wonder if that's something that you've noticed on the inside of you. Ronald Rollheiser, in his book, The Holy Longing, makes a fascinating observation. He says, there is within us a fundamental dis-ease, an unquenchable fire that renders us incapable in this life of ever coming to full peace. This desire lies at the center of our lives. We are not easeful people who occasionally get restless, the reverse is true. At the heart of all great literature, poetry, art, philosophy, psychology, religion, lies the naming and analyzing of this desire. And whatever the expression, everyone is ultimately talking about the same thing. An unquenchable fire, a restlessness, a longing, a disquiet, a hunger, a loneliness, a gnawing nostalgia, a wildness that cannot be tamed, an all-embracing ache that lies at the center of the human experience and is the ultimate force that drives everything else. This dis-ease is universal. And then he makes this unexpected observation, and I think he's absolutely right. Spirituality is, ultimately, what we do with that desire. That thing that is behind your longing to be accepted, that stirring that's behind your drive for achievement or for money, that thing that's behind your obsessive playing of video games or your binge TV watching or your struggle with pornography or shopping or eating or sleeping, what is that? Do you recognize an unmet hunger in you? 
What is the name that you put on that hunger? What is it a hunger for? The passage of Scripture that we're looking at today is one that speaks to that deep-down hunger in every one of us. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes to his brothers and sisters in Christ in Philippi, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Think about this. For most of us, life is about trying to get our circumstances to line up with our desires, giving us contentment as a result. But when you stop and think about it, when it comes to how we experience contentment, there are really just three ways that human beings over the ages have thought about this intersection between our desire, our I want, and our circumstances, the what is, in a way that leads us to contentment. One is the hedonist view. And it says, follow your desire, get what you want, and then you'll be content. This view says your desires are good and the world is good, so you can expect the world to give you what you want. You just need to look in the right places and you'll find it. So when my desires line up with the circumstances I have, then things inside of me are going to be good. So the secret to contentment for a hedonist? Well, out with the unpleasant, in with the enjoyable, result, contentment, satisfaction, right? The entire marketing world is devoted to perpetuating that myth. If you grew up in the United States, then the hedonist view has been hardwired into you. It is just a built-in reflex for us to think that connect contentment is connected to positive circumstances. It is getting the thing I want. And every single ad that we will ever see tells us this is the thing you really want. This is the thing that will bring you happiness or satisfaction or fulfillment. This vacuum cleaner, this pair of jeans, this toothpaste, this acne rinse, this cell phone, this cereal. Now, if you only had this, then you would be complete in life. That's hedonism. Get your circumstances to line up with your desires Get what you want, and then you'll be content. So hedonism would say to Henderson the Rain King, just keep looking. It's out there. That thing that you desire deep down, just keep scrolling through Amazon's Black Friday list. You will find it eventually. Will we? There are two other ways that people over the ages have wrestled with how desire and circumstances should connect with each other in a way that produces contentment. The second view is the Stoic view. It says, temper your desires. Want what you have, and then you'll be content. The Stoic view says that your desires are good, but the world is broken, and you can't expect this broken world to give you what you want. So you need to adjust your expectations. You need to moderate your desires downward, and then you'll end up eventually content. Instead of lining up your circumstances to your desires, line up your desires to your circumstances, and then you'll be a happy clam. So its advice to Henderson is, hey, the world is a fickle place. It's not likely to give you what you want. So lower your expectations, and eventually that inner voice will just go away. 
The third approach is the Eastern or Buddhist one. It says, deny your desire. Don't want what you have. Don't want what you don't have. Don't want. And then you'll be content. That view says both your desires and this world are broken. You will never get what you want, and you shouldn't try. The only way to commitment is to turn your back on both your desire and this world. So this is the advice that the Eastern view would give to the reign king. Just learn to deny the voice inside of you because it's never going to be satisfied. So before we go on, let me just ask, does one of those fit with your way of trying to ultimately satisfy the hunger that you experience inside? Is it working? Is deep contentment part of your life experience? Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Now, this is really kind of an unexpected comment from Paul because when he talks about this idea of learning to be content, he is borrowing language from the Stoics. During Paul's day, the Stoic philosophers were all the rage. They weren't academic philosophers. These were the self-help gurus, the, the Deepak Chopras, the Martha Becks, the Tony Robbins, the Mark Mansons of the day. These were the influencers who had more followers than anybody else. The people like Emma and Charlie and The Rock and LeBron. And contentment was probably the primary theme for the Stoics. They talked about it more than almost anything else. And this was their advice. Don't try to adjust life to fit your expectations. Adjust your expectations to fit life. Want what you have. So it looks like Paul is heading right down that road. But then he makes a completely unexpected turn. So let's follow his line of thought here. Paul says, chapter 4, verse 1, or verse 11, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And then going on to verse 12, you know as well as I do, Paul says, circumstances change faster than the weather in Indiana. Sometimes our circumstances are good, and sometimes things are just really, really, really bad. And Paul says, I've experienced both. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. It's just part of our shared human experience. We're all going to have the good moments and the bad moments, but I've figured out a way to rise above that, Paul says, repeating the same claim that he already made in verse 11. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are. I've learned how to be content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So think about your life right now. What does your plenty and your want look like? What do you feel like you've got way too much of? What do you feel like you've got not nearly enough of? What are the circumstances that you would hate to change, and what are the circumstances that you would love to change in your life? Paul says, your contentment is not connected to those circumstances at all. His claim is so startling that he repeats it twice. He says, hey, I found the source of contentment, and it's not found in our circumstances. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. I found the secret of contentment, regardless of how good or how bad your life is. And then Paul tells us in verse 13 what it is. 
I can do all things through him who gives me strength. All right. I think it's just important that we stop here for a moment. Some of you are saying, yes, that is exactly right. That is my experience. I have come to Christ. I've opened my life up to him. And that is my experience. I found that in Christ. But it is just possible that you might hear that phrase and you might be thinking, yep, there it is, the trite Christian answer, Jesus. He's always the answer. Just wave him like a magic wand over your circumstances and everything will be just great, right? It especially sounds like a blank check promise when you hear the verse the way that we usually quote it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it seems like Paul has just shifted from stoicism to hedonism. This sounds like the perfect hedonistic promise. If you claim the power of Jesus, then your desire and your circumstances will line up perfectly. Things will go the way you want and you will be content. You will have the friends you want. You'll go to the school you want. You'll get the grades you want. You'll get the scholarships you want. You will get the goals you want. You'll get on the team you want. You'll get the job you want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But this isn't a blank check. This isn't a lucky charm that we write on our tennis shoes. Two important things to notice about this passage. Look at the way the NIV translation puts the first part of it. I can do all this, it says, not I can do all things. Paul isn't saying, hey, I can accomplish anything with Jesus and with his help. That's not true. What Paul is saying is I can get through, through these trying circumstances that I was just talking about. I can do all of this. And then look at the way the RSV translation finishes the translation. I can do all of this in Christ who gives me strength. That's actually what the passage says in Greek, not through Christ who gives me strength. And I think that's an important distinction. Paul is not saying Jesus is the power source who makes all things possible. We just need to plug into the power source and we will get what we want. Jesus isn't a power line who delivers strength to me. Jesus is a person who walks through life with me. In Christ means in relationship with Christ. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ above me, Christ beside me, me in Christ, Christ in me. I can handle whatever circumstances life hands me because I am in relationship with Christ. He gives me strength, the strength of his presence. I can experience contentment in my difficult circumstances because I am walking through those circumstances with him. He loves me and he cares for me. My life circumstances matter to him. He knows what they are. His presence in my life in the midst of my deep difficulties brings me joy and peace and contentment. He is what I'm longing for. As we sang earlier, through it all, your eyes are on me, my eyes are on you, and it is well with me. I like how Eugene Peterson puts this in his message translation. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. My contentment is in him doesn't come out as the result of some calculus or equation that I apply to my life, some method for bringing about contentment. 
It turns out the contentment that God gives us is nothing less than God giving us himself. So the hedonist says, get what you want. The Stoic says, want what you have. The Eastern way says, don't want what you don't have. Don't want what you do have. Paul says there's a fourth way to think about the intersection between your desire and your circumstances and your contentment. It's the Christian way. And the Christian way says, want Jesus with all you have. In other words, the secret to contentment in life is a holy discontentment in God. And that's the gift that I pray that God would give to each of you today and each day for the rest of your life. That God would give you the gift of holy discontentment. And by that I mean, may you be ever satisfied with what you have in God, and may you be never satisfied with what you have of God. May you be ever satisfied with what you have in God, and may you be never satisfied with what you have of God. What I've discovered in the 40 years since I have given my life to Christ is that we are all Henderson the Rain King. We, all of us, have that voice deep inside of us saying, I want, I want. It's there because it is a hunger that God has placed deep inside of us as human beings. And it is a hunger for himself. And after years of chasing that hunger in all the wrong places, I can say with Paul that I've finally come to understand the source of contentment in the face of my hunger. I want, I want, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I say with Paul, I want to know Christ. Not once and done, but in an ever-deepening way. That's why his prayer for the Philippians is this, that your love may abound, that it may keep spilling over and grow and grow, that it may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. So if you have grown up in the church and you are getting ready to graduate, it is tempting to think of church like school. You took a class, you passed the test, and now it's on to the next thing. Spanish, check. Government, check. English, check. Chemistry, check. Geometry, check. Check, check, check. Next. So the great temptation at this point in your life is to think that the, the same way when it comes to your faith. Christianity said the prayer when I was eight, did the church thing. Check. Next. Thinking you know all that there is to know about Christianity and that you have experienced all that there is to experience of Christ who stands at the center of the Christian faith would be one of the worst mistakes you could possibly make in your whole life. Here's why. First, wherever you are, no matter how deep your faith you are just getting started in getting to know God. There is always more of him to have and to know, and it only gets better. And that will be just as true of you when you are 22 and 42 and 62 and 82. The perennial call to the Christian, the daily invitation from God to quote from C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle is, come further up, come further in. There's always more. And it only gets better as you open your life to him. Four years after I read Henderson, The Ranking, I gave my life to Christ. And I can tell you that 
He is the thing that I was hungering for and hunger for still. And that leads to the second reason, that it would be a huge mistake to think that you have all of Jesus you need at this point in your life. And that is, as the psalmist says in Psalm 62, our souls find rest in God alone. We're given this morning uh, the gift of hearing a voice that's crying out in our midst, often. It reminds us that there is a voice inside of us crying out, often. And that voice can only be satisfied in God. Our souls find rest in God alone. Whatever contentment you have ever found or will ever find in your life as a result of your desires lining up with your circumstances will be fleeting and it will be ultimately unsatisfying. I guarantee you. Because it will never satisfy the deepest hunger in your soul that says, I want. I want. Which is why Paul, or David speaks of thirsting after God at the beginning of Psalm 63 and of being satisfied with God as, as with a feast at the end of Psalm 63. It's why Paul prays for the Philippians that their love for God would grow and grow and keep growing and keep growing. Which is why I am praying for you today that you would be ever satisfied with what you have in God but never satisfied with what you have of God. I wonder if you would consider doing something in response to this morning's message. If you would consider praying to God every day from now until school starts in the fall, Lord, make me hungry for you. And watch how God will delight to answer that prayer. Lord, make me hungry for you. Here's one of the things that I think you'll notice. Holy discontentment for God will give you a holy discontentment for the things of God. And in that, you just may discover your life's calling. The more we hunger for God, the more we will hunger for the things that God hungers for in this world. More and more, we will have eyes to see this world's brokenness. And more and more, we will have a heart that moves us to step into those places of brokenness on God's behalf. Loving what God loves, hating what God hates, and seeking to put right what is wrong in God's eyes, starting with our own hearts. I recently began reading a fascinating book that's called The Sound of Life's Unspeakable Beauty by Martin Schleski, in which a violin maker compares following Christ with making musical instruments. And I just want to share, in closing, a few of the comments that he offers in his book. He says, a truly relevant faith involves a loving search and a searching love. The many ways of searching for God all have one thing in common, passionate longing. A spirit devoid of passion is a dangerous enemy of the faith. Growing accustomed to what one already has in God is a subtle form of unbelief. An alert faith does not become accustomed either to God or to this world. Our questions Visions and longings should turn us into people who seek hope and love. If our search for meaning does not cost us anything, then we have not ventured far enough out onto the path 
To find God, we must frequently trouble ourselves. Do you hear in those words an invitation from God this morning? What has he been saying to you? May God give you the gift of a holy discontentment. One that leads you in hungry pursuit of God all of your days. Content in him, but never content with what you have of him. And always hungering and always seeking for more. Would you pray with me? Lord, one of the ways that our hunger for you begins to find its satisfaction is when we look back over our shoulders and we begin to see the way that you have put on display your goodness and your faithfulness and your love towards us. So Lord, as we conclude our worship this morning, open our eyes now as we hear the words of this song sung over us, Lord, By your spirit, bring to mind those places where we have experienced your goodness. Where you have shown us your faithfulness. And where we have been on the receiving end of your love. Open our eyes, Lord, to you.